Okay, I'm just going to pray briefly. Um, Father, thank you for your words. Uh, pray that um, you would uh, speak to us this morning. We just pray that you'll be present with us, that you would speak to us, and you'll do. Um, you pray we have uh, that we would have ears to hear what you are saying to us this morning. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to speak on the parable of the sower. I've got three main points. Just to warn you, I'm a bit of a pedant. Um, actually, my favourite line about um, uh, about that is um, from Jonathan Creek. Does anyone remember that program? Um, and uh, Maddie, his assistant, says to him, "Would you just?" He's being really pedantic. She said, "She says, will you just stop with all this needless pedanticism?" And he says, "Actually, it's pedantry." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I'm like that. So the first, my, my first point is going to perhaps feel a little bit pedantic uh, in, in a way, but I, I'm just going to sort of push it because I think this is a passage we've all heard a lot, and we have this, we'll talk about it in a minute, we have this tendency to go, yeah, yeah, I, I know what it means, got, it, got that one. Um, so three main points are, um, one is this passage might not mean exactly what you think it does. Uh, the second is God's kingdom might not look exactly how you think it does. And the third doesn't fit in that pattern at all. It's just we need to take care to hear well. Okay, so uh, firstly, this passage might not mean exactly what you think it does. Um, if anyone is here today, I, I, I'm not sure, but doesn't have much of a background in church, you have an advantage because um, you, you're not over-familiar with these words. I think for a lot of us who are Christians, and I think most, most of us who have heard this a few times, we can be a bit over-familiar and kind of switch off at the beginning. Um, so we think, yeah, yeah, I, I know what all that means, and we'll just wait for the, t- the preacher uh, to just explain it to the uninitiated, um, so we kind of check out for the next half hour. Um, I think that we essentially treat this passage like a sort of personality test, um, so, uh, but one that we've done before. So you think, oh, I know my results. I'm the good soil. How about you, Deirdre? And uh, the, uh, I just kind of like us to kind of avoid doing that this morning avoid thinking okay you know this is just about who's a christian and who's not a christian i think i'm a christian so i'm that sort of, so that's it i don't need to hear it today um i, I guess obviously i'm going to say this because i'm the one speaking to you but i think actually we all need to listen to it today um not necessarily my words but the words that are in in here um so i'm going to do the sort of somewhat caricatured typical version of the way i've read this in the past and you can tell me if it seems familiar um and again, I'm being a bit silly here, but you, you kind of read and you go, okay, oh, the power of this parable of the sower. Yep, uh, the people Jesus is speaking to don't know what it means. I do, though, but I've heard it before. Uh, here are the four different types of soil. Yep, they're the different four types of people. Hear God's words. I hope I'm the good one. Um, okay, now Jesus is going to explain to his followers. Hmm, uh, obscure Old Testament reference. Not really sure what that means. Moving swiftly on. Uh, yep, see, I was right about the types of soil. Which one am I? Okay, has anyone read it a bit like that before? Just me? No? And, and Jen and Steve? Okay. Um, so I don't think this is totally wide of the mark, the, the reading I've said. Um, and, but I think there's some, I've realized there's some stuff that I was probably missing about it. Um, part of the problem with the reading I just did is that we go straight from what is the text saying to how does it apply to me? And so we've missed, a, we've missed a kind of interpretive step in the middle. And I think the interpretive step we've missed in the middle is, I don't know if it's interpretive or interpretative, but someone can tell me afterwards. Uh, but the step that we've missed in the middle is, what did it mean in the original context? I think we do that a lot with the Bible. So we just go, this is what it seems to be saying. How do I apply it to my life? And that's a good, we've got a good heart behind that because we want to hear God's word well and respond. The problem is, sometimes... 
there's a context that we need to understand. I think um, what one illustration might be if you take Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. You know, is it relevant for us today? Yes, I think it is. You know, I think we need to learn lessons about racism. But, but it wasn't, it was spoken to people at a particular historic moment. And actually, to get the full weight of what's going on in his speech, let's, we need to understand the moment. So that is often the case with scripture. Um, so I'm going to cut to the chase with this one. Um, having, I think, although it's not called a farm or something, I think essentially the farm in this parable, I could be wrong, uh, but I think the farm primarily isn't just the whole world in general and any time anybody hears the word of God. I think the farm is Israel. Um, and there's three reasons why I, th I think that. Um, and if you disagree, that's fine. Ultimately, the application is going to end up working for us. Um, um, firstly, he's speaking to an audience of first century Israelites, uh, a big crowd that's come out from town after town of Israel. So we've got to think, who, just first of all, who's he actually speaking to? He's speaking to them into their cultural context in a way that's going to make sense for them. The people who immediately um, he is trying to challenge are Jewish hearers in the first century. Um, secondly, you've got this reference to essentially like a field or a farm. And we see in scripture references to fields and vineyards, these kind of agricultural metaphors, often are about Israel. Um, and in fact, in Isaiah, we've got a reference to Isaiah that comes, comes in a bit. Um, in the chapter before, you, Israel's talked about like a vineyard and this idea that there's this place that God's planted and he's looking for good fruit. So I think that the kind of immediate application that's going on here is to Israel. Uh, my third, third reason was um, that we got Jesus' explanation to his disciples of why he spoke in parables afterwards. And that's in Luke 8, verse 10. So after he's, he's given this really obscure message, um, I think you would feel probably ripped off if Steve did that on a Sunday morning, if you kind of came waiting to hear him, him teach you and thought he's going to bring me some kind of profound insight that's going to shape my life. And he just told you a story that you didn't understand. And then kind of put the mic back and said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear and walked off. This is an odd way of teaching. Um, but um, yeah, so his disciples ask about it, and he says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So actually it gets a bit weirder. He's even saying, I'm teaching this way so that they don't get what I'm saying. This is not the way that people teach now. So he's got a big following. Uh, if you think now, kind of someone gets a massive Twitter following, and you think, great, you've got all these people looking to you. What are you going to say? Now's the time to get your message across. And Jesus gives a kind of riddle. And that's, that's odd. Okay, It's an odd way of teaching. Certainly as a teacher, I'm like, that's, that's not in teacher training. Make it as confusing as possible. Um, that's, that's not, yeah, that's not rose and shine, Bob. Um, so there you go. Um, so uh, he says... To you they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. The echo is from Isaiah 6. Um, Isaiah was a Jewish prophet, and he brought a message of judgment mixed with mercy to Israel because they kept worshipping false gods. They kept worshipping idols. He saw this vision of God, which completely overwhelmed him, and some of you will be familiar with that, that passage. And he heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send, and who will go for us? And then Isaiah replied, here I am, send me. And then God's reply is totally not encouraging at all. Um, because he basically says, you're going to go to them and they're not going to hear you. And they're going to respond. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull 
and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts, got a bit of a judging word, and turn and be healed. So Isaiah brought this message of judgment, but it came with hope of forgiveness and restoration if the people would turn back to God. But they didn't listen to him. So Isaiah comes with this message. He's saying, look, you are worshipping idols. You need to turn away and you need to worship the true God and there can be healing for you and for the nation. And you'll see God's kingdom come. And the people in Isaiah's time don't listen and Israel gets judged and ultimately taken off into exile. So I think one thing's going on here that I've missed in the past is I think Jesus is identifying himself with the ministry of Isaiah. I think he's kind of, he's linking back and he's saying, well, actually, look, I'm like Isaiah. I'm coming to Israel and I'm saying, I'm saying you need to turn away from false gods. You need to repent and believe and come into the kingdom. And most people are not going to hear the message. So the people that Jesus spoke this parable to, they weren't in exile in a foreign nation uh, anymore, but they were under foreign rule. And a lot of them would have been waiting for God to send his message to save Israel from foreign, uh, send his Messiah to save Israel from foreign oppression um, and to usher in this golden age, this messianic age for the nation. People were looking to God's king. And so you get elsewhere in the, the, the gospel, the disciples ask, are you now going to restore the kingdom? So they're kind of looking for this like king, like King David, who was their, their best king before, um, like kind of David and Solomon, the golden years. And I think I'm going to have this messianic king come and he's going to save us from Rome and we're going to be king. Um, and Jesus comes with this kingdom that is this upside-down kingdom that's not the one they expect. Um, in the pages of the Gospels, we do see repeatedly that Jesus is the Messiah they're looking for. Jesus is the Messiah who's going to come in and save the nation. Um, but he doesn't look the way they're expecting. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't look like this military ruler that's going to come in sweeping, crush the nations, and then make everyone in Israel happy and prosperous. Um, and we also see that the kingdom doesn't look like the way people expect it to. It doesn't look like this big conquest. Okay, so that's the sec uh, that was the first point about uh, the parable. I think perhaps w it does apply to us. When it gets out at the end, I think it totally applies and it is transferable. But I think there's an original context there which is helpful to understand. Second point is that God's kingdom might not look exactly how you think it does. Um, so it does seem that many in first century Israel were expecting God's Messiah to come in, kind of kick the bad guys like a Marvel hero, and then kind of just make, make Israel prosperous and happy and safe. Um, the Messiah would come, he'd defeat their enemies, and he'd bring peace and prosperity to the nation of Israel. But then when Jesus talks about the kingdom, how does he talk about it? He talks about it in these kind of, uh, it's not military metaphors, it's not military pictures, he's not like, here's my action plan. He starts using, he uses organic images, doesn't he? So he talks about um, yeast spreading through dough. And he talks about a mustard seed that grows into the big giant bush or kind of big or tree. And then here he talks about a farmer scattering seeds in a kind of comical way. So some people point out this could be kind of, this might even have been a funny story to people that heard it originally because they would have understood how you do farming and they would have understood that the way you do farming isn't go out and throw your valuable seed over all of the land, even the bits where obviously it's not going to grow. Um, and I don't know what it says. You know, maybe that says something about the generosity of God in, in kind of giving his, his word out. Um, but you have these, these metaphors. Um, they're organic. 
So if you like growing things, then you know you could maybe understand this. But um, when discussing this passage, pastor and author Timothy Keller says that the kingdom of God is like a seed, not like a boulder. I think people expected it to come like a boulder, crush the Romans. You know, the Israelites are standing there, the Romans are all around, and they're looking scared, and then a massive boulder comes and crushes them, and they all kind of cheer and dance around and go, great, we beat them. Um, but Timothy Keller says it comes like a seed, it doesn't come like a boulder. Earthly kingdoms come with coercion and force. The kingdom of God comes gently. God will not force his way into your heart. He won't simply just kind of flatten all of your defenses and overwhelm you with irresistible force until you let him in. Okay, he's not the American army in the second half of the 20th century. Um, that's not the way it works. Um, instead, his kingdom might come to you like a small, unimpressive-looking seed. It's something that you could totally ignore or reject. So it's something that you could go, oh, that doesn't look glitzy, shiny, impressive, powerful. I'll ignore it. But it's also something which, if you allow it to take root in your life, can produce amazing growth. So I'm using another pair of metaphors, loads of metaphors here today. Um, entering God's kingdom is less like being kidnapped and more like receiving an invitation through your door. Some of us want it to be being kidnapped because you think, okay, I'll just go along with my life and then, you know, if God's really interested, he can come and sweep me into his kingdom. But actually, the scary thing, I, I think actually it's kind of it's scarier this way because the scary thing is it means that um, whether God's word brings life to me, at some level at least, at least, really does depend on how I respond to it. I know we're, you know, we're a reformed or kind of Calvinist denomination of churches and so we totally believe in the sovereignty of God. At the same time, there's a mystery there, that it does depend on us. It depends how we hear and respond to the words. Um, we don't have the luxury of saying, well, if God really wanted me to follow him, he could just show up in a way that made it impossible for me not to do it. You know, he can just show up and make it so obvious that, of course, I'll do it. You know, he can do that if he wants. If not, well, in the meantime, I'll get on with my life. No, you need to respond to the invitation. Like, we need to respond to the invitation. You could receive the invitation and still up, end up missing the wedding. You know, um, if you, uh, you know, if you're saying, I, I want God, you know, saying I want God to, um, I want God to just show up and overwhelm all my defenses like that, is like saying, saying, you know, you received a wedding invitation saying, you know, if the bride and groom come and kidnap me, I'll attend. You know, you, you have to respond to the invitation. Okay? You have to take the invitation, you have to go. And that's actually another picture that Jesus uses. So Jesus called out to the original hearers of his parable, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So it's a kingdom that comes through hearing well. Timothy Keller again says, earthly kingdoms always come through coercion and force. Earthly leaders almost always are great at getting a hearing. But the kingdom of God comes to people who are good at giving a hearing. Listening, listening well, listening deep, listening and understanding is the primary skill of the kingdom of God. Without it, you can't enter it, and the power of the kingdom can't come into your life. Without it, you can't proceed. Without it, the kingdom power can't flow out and through other people. Your ability to sit down and listen, your ability to take in what somebody else is saying, your ability to truly listen and hear 
is the most important ability. So uh, first point was um, that the passage might mean, you know, slight, slightly, might have some slightly different meanings to what we, were ex we, we thought or expected. Uh, the second is that um, God's kingdom might look a bit different to how we expected. Okay, it doesn't necessarily look like God showing up and like, bam. Okay, it might look like a quiet seed of God's words coming to your heart and you choosing to accept it and take it in. And then the third point is that we need to take care to hear well as a result. Um, so I've said that the power was originally aimed at Israel, um, and it pertains this kingdom that comes gently through hearing God's words. But how does it apply to us today? Does it apply to us today? Oh, my, I'm trying to find my, make this work. Okay, uh, yeah, I think it does. Um, so in the first century, um, things happened essentially as Jesus told in the parable. In many people's lives, his words didn't really take hold and bear fruit. And actually, the Christian message, the gospel, was rejected by a lot of people in Israel. Um, but in some people, his words produced amazing fruit in those early disciples, and their lives were totally changed. Um, after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, the good news went out far beyond the borders of Israel into the rest of the world. And so God's word now does come to us, just as it went originally to the people in Israel. And they either took it in and didn't. I think now God's word comes to us, comes to the Gentiles as well. Um, and we have the opportunity to let it take root in our hearts and bear fruit. So the question is, will we do that? Um, when the word of God comes to us, will we harden our hearts straight away, like the rocky soil, and refuse to let it change us at all? I think for most people in that room, that's in this room, it's, that's probably, hopefully, that's not the main challenge. But it, it might be. There might be times when actually we're just like, no, I just don't want to hear. Um, will we respond positively now because it feels right? And maybe, you know, Steve's going to come up and play some nice songs and we'll, we'll, have, we'll have a kind of environment where it feels right and it feels like emotionally it's the right way to respond. Uh, but then walk away or fade away when the good feelings die out and then challenges come. Because I know personally, like in a meeting, I can feel really kind of like, yeah, kind of spiritually enthused. And then even just walking out and you kind of go from the artificial light into the bright light there and all the people around and suddenly you feel like you're in a different world and maybe some of the motivation goes straight away. So we're not after, what I'm after this morning certainly is not a kind of, I'm not after, you know, emotions are great. God gave them to us, and often a bit of emotional response is good, but I, I'm not after a big emotional response to, to the word this morning. Um, will we start off with good intentions, but then let work, money, and material pleasures take over? Or will we, hold, as Jesus said, hold it fast in an honest and uh, good heart and bear fruit with patience? So um, as I was speaking to, uh, he was speaking to a nation of idol worshippers. And um, we, we are like them, you know. Maybe I don't want to upset you, but I am like them, okay? I worship idols. And um, the idols don't look like kind of carved images, but they might look, like, um, might look like comfort, or they might look like my own reputation, or it might look like different kind of worldly pleasures or materialism or things like that. Or, um, or sports, um, those sort of things. They're the things that we set up in our hearts in place of God. A lot of these things actually are good things. They're not bad things in themselves, but they're, they're bad things when we let them take the place of God um, and when they take priority. Um, and the thing is, they, 
they also corrupt us and they cause us to act in unrighteous ways. So if you make money your idol, maybe the, as Tim Keller, I've got this from Tim Keller as well in the past, but um, the way to know that uh, money is your idol is what, how do you react when you don't get it? How do you react when you don't get what you want? You know, if, you, if you're going for, if work is your idol, you don't get the promotion at work or you lose your job. Are you disappointed, frustrated, or are you devastated? What about in relationships? The other thing is how, I would say, is how, how are you going to respond in a situation where you have to choose between two things? So uh, let's say, let's take popularity. Okay, for me, uh, I'm not that bothered about being super popular, but I, I do care what people think of me a lot. Um, Jen's not, you're nodding because of... Okay, I can't say. That's fine. It's true. Um, the uh, it was so. So, what am I going to do in a situation where being faithful to God means that people are going to think I'm going to look stupid? Well, sadly, in a lot of cases, I will go. Oh, I don't know that God really wants me to do that, and I'll do the thing that um, is going to make me look good and not lose face. Um, and that suggests that that's an idol in my heart. So um, we all have these things, um, and they affect the way that we act. So if uh, romantic and sexual fulfillment is your idol, you're going to find it hard to be faithful to uh, a spouse and a family over the long haul. Because, you know, there's times when we're not feeling fulfilled in those relationships, aren't there? And then somebody else comes along and looks kind of glitzy and glamorous and lovely. You know, what's, what choice are we going to make? What are we going to worship? Um, we're stained, all of us, we're stained with the guilt of our sin. Um, but through Jesus, we can take for ourselves God's words to Israel in Isaiah at the beginning. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So God offers to the kind of idolatrous, hard-hearted people the opportunity for their sins to be totally washed clean. Um, and... That, that comes to us through Jesus. Jesus died for our sins, and his blood has the ability to cleanse sins and make us totally clean. But to experience the cleansing and forgiveness, God calls us to turn away from sin and to trust in Jesus. So it means we join his kingdom, and it means we submit to his authority, and we, we turn away from worshipping idols. Now, we're all... We will continue to sin at times, but it's that continual life of repentance of turning back to him. And we have to make that decision. We have to soften our hearts to his word and say, actually, I'm willing to, to that, whatever that idol is, career progression, family, whatever it is that we're setting up. So, you know, I'm, I'm willing to put that down instead of sacrificing other things on the altar of this idol, I'm willing to sacrifice this idol on the altar of worship to the true God. And that's the challenge all the time. Okay? That's the challenge for me every day. And I hope I get it right sometimes, and I get it wrong a lot of the time. But that's the challenge. We have to continue to come back and say, no, I'm under Jesus' authority, and I don't worship this, I worship Jesus. Um, the challenge, the further challenge for us is that um, in Isaiah, the, the, when Jesus was talking about having ears but not hearing and having eyes but not seeing 
That's a consequence of idol worship. So if you see elsewhere in Isaiah, God says that you're making these idols, the people that make these idols, you're going to become like them. So you make these kind of little idols that can't see and can't hear, you're going to become blind and you're going to become deaf to, to spiritual truth. Um, so we're in a difficult predicament. It's like, you know, actually we're guilty of idol worship and um, the, the remedy, God's given us the remedy, which is to soften our hearts to God and hear his message and respond. But actually the idols make us a hard, give us a hard heart so we can't respond. So what we need is the mercy of God. What we need is the grace of God. Um, and so I know this is quite a challenging message, um, but um, we need God to come to us and we need him to soften our hearts. And I think if you're like me and you're going, oh, I am I'm caught between these things. Yeah, I, I want to follow God because uh, I know that's much better. But actually, I find it really hard to let go of this. The good news is a, that we can come to Jesus, we can ask him to help us. So I was praying myself this morning, and I regularly pray, uh, the prayer of the father, who was it his daughter, he wants Jesus to help his daughter. And, and Jesus says, well, yeah, just believe. And he says, I believe, help my unbelief. We've got this seed, we use that, we use the, we use the image. We've got this mustard seed of faith that says, I, I do believe this, I believe this message, I want to follow Jesus. Um, but I, I'm finding it hard, actually. I've got, you know, I feel like all these things are kind of blinding my ability to see spiritually. I have doubts. Um, and, but we can pray. I believe, help my unbelief, help me, soften my heart. And that's a good, good thing for us to pray. Okay. Um, so I, I think, I think everyone here is, is a Christian somewhere, but I don't, I don't know. Um, and, so if you're not, you're really welcome. Um, but I say anyway, I think if, if uh, any, anyone who's Christian or not and is tempted to dismiss the message of Jesus unnecessary, outdated or relevant, irrelevant, I would just say give it a fair hearing. So I want to say that, give it a fair hearing. You know, when you think, oh, well, I don't need to hear that. That's, that's not for me. It's not important. It doesn't matter. It's not relevant. What is it that's making you think that? Could it be that, could it be that just, yeah, it's, it's kind of, senseless well part of the problem with that is actually there's billions of people in this world that do believe it it's totally transformed the world um there's one person who's you know he jesus is the most influential figure in history and i think there's enough credibility there in terms of the impact of christianity and the, the people that believe it um to think it can't be totally stupid might seem foolish but it can't be there can't be nothing to it so maybe it's worth investigating. What's the thing that makes us think, oh, I'm going to just switch off and not pay attention? Could it be what it says in Isaiah, which is actually that our idols in our lives have blinded our, heart, blinded our eyes and stopped off our ears? But the thing that makes us, you know, the thing I know for myself, the thing that makes me sometimes go, I don't want to hear that, is because I think, I, you know, I dismiss things because I don't want to hear them. So uh, if that's you, if there's anyone there, um, just... I would say give it a chance. Can you strain your ears over the kind of noise of those other things in the world and try to hear or, um, you know, ask God to soften your heart? Um, and to people that are Christians, I think um, for most of us, when Jesus talks about uh, the, the word falls on the, the path and the, the birds snatch it away so that they can't believe and be saved, I think a lot of us would say, well, we have believed the gospel. You know, we, we have responded. You know, you've believed. You're saved. Um, but I think there's still the challenge that comes to us in saying, um, 
let's not harden our hearts to the world, because we can still harden our hearts. So um, the author of Hebrews says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Um, and as I've said, if you feel like you've got a hard heart, ask God to soften it, because he's gracious. Um, actually, everybody in the world is in that situation. Idol worshipper with eyes and ears that are blind and deaf to the gospel. And we need God to do something. So we're only here. The reason you're here is because God was gracious to you. He was kind to you. And he softened your heart so that you said, yeah, okay, that, that message that I thought I wasn't interested in before or that seems stupid to me, actually, I do believe it and I'm going to respond. Okay. Um, so we need to take care not to have a hard heart. I think this another one that I want to say. Um, <laughs> I know this is challenging, but um, Steve, will, Steve will, you'll, you'll pick us up after this. Um, the, uh, I think we need to take care to have a faith that's deeper than our emotions. So one tendency for us in our society particularly is to have, uh, perhaps we might see Christianity as a, is, we almost, we can almost see it as a kind of therapy. So we think, okay, I've got these kind of things that I'm finding difficult. Well, actually, God's message is going to come and it's going to make me feel happy about myself and more positive about myself. And, and it can do that in various ways, but I don't think it's primarily that. I think we're coming into a kingdom, we're submitting before a king. Um, we, we have a tendency, just because of our society, we're very, what people talked about, expressive individualism. We start with me. We start with how I feel and who I think I am on the inside. And kind of the most important thing is just to express that. Okay, the, the Bible starts with God. It starts with just ultimate objective reality. The thing about you is you're going to shift and change, and it's like shifting sand where you cannot put your feet in the right place, and your feelings are just like that. Um, as well. If you try and build your kind of connection with reality and the way you do your life on your feelings, it's going to be like sand. One day you're going to feel right and then it's going to move. Um, we need to work to dig down through the shifting sands of feelings and to place our faith on the rock of Jesus's words, which don't change. Um, and for me, I say for me, I think this needs to be daily work because I forget all the time. Um, I don't think this means, particularly making this point about Jesus saying you can have this big positive reaction and then you can fade away. I think, for me, the takeaway is here, I think actually I just need to just prioritize spending some time in the words and prayer every day. And, and even if I don't feel it, try and get that time in. Try and build my faith in what God says and not on how I'm feeling. Okay, and then the last challenge with the weeds, I think maybe this is, this is the biggest day-to-day -day challenge for me, maybe. I think we're in a very prosperous country. We have lots of stuff. We have uh, lots of worries and cares and pleasures of life at work. Um, work can be, it can be, we have some really good jobs. Some people in here, you've got, we've got some really interesting jobs, um, stuff that we enjoy, stuff that we find fulfilling, things that pay quite well. We're able to think about all the kind of things we're going to do, maybe get that extension on the house, maybe do this or that. And they're not bad things, you know. I'm really grateful for my job. I, I do love my job overall. Um, but if we're not careful, they can build up and take over. Nothing wrong with working hard. In fact, it's good to work hard. Um, but work can become this thing where actually we're working so hard. It, it, I've noticed that for, for a lot of people, including me, work is the kind of pressing thing, isn't it? That when it comes and something needs to happen for work, you're like, well, everything else obviously has to take second place. And I think I can do that with my faith as well. So I, mm, I've really got a lot of planning and marking and admin to do now. 
I don't really have time to stop and pray today uh, because work is just too busy. Um, I do have time to check, uh, personally, I do, I do have time to check sports news several times through the day on my phone. Quite have time to stop and pray. Um, but there's a kind of in- assumption there that we don't challenge, which is that actually the, the most important thing is your job. Um, and obviously, there are things which are important, and we need to do them, and they can affect our, they can, you know, we can be busy, and that's not wrong. But um, it's the, I guess the diagnostic is, if you're looking across your lifestyle in general, not a, one week or kind of a particularly busy fortnight or month, but if you're looking across your lifestyle in general, is the way that you're relating to your work choking out fruitfulness in your life? Um, for me, at times, yes, definitely. Um, then we've got things like relationships, um, which are good. Uh, leisure. So, again, leisure is great. It's a good thing. Steve said, I, I didn't reply, sorry. Um, I get a bit kind of leisure, like, oh, can I do things that are fun? And, yeah, we can. Like, God made good things for us to enjoy. The problem is if they then take over everything else. So if we, um, if we end up if we end up only doing the leisure, and I do this sometime, I'm very tired in the evening, so I'm going to spend some time doing a crossword, look at the sports news, do fantasy football, all these things, and then, lo and behold, oh, it's bedtime now, but I go to sleep, and I haven't really prayed or read the Bible. Um, they're not bad, um, but are they choking? Is there something there which you think actually is choking, is choking out the seed of faith, is choking out the fruitfulness? Those are things where we need to maybe do a little bit of cut, cutting back. Okay, do we need to do some weeding? Right, um, so I, I'm going to finish. Um, the good news for us is we don't have to do this on our own. In fact, there's lots of good news. The first is that, that deal, uh, the, the kind of challenge of idols in our hearts, God has dealt with that through Jesus by dying at the cross. He's taken our place. He's taken our sin. So all of the guilt, he removes it and he cleanses us. And if we've believed in Jesus, he's washed us as white as snow. God gives us a soft heart. So he, he promises in Ezekiel to take out the heart of stone, give us a heart of flesh. And so that's the thing we can ask. Say, actually, soften my, soften my heart. God's there to help us. We can ask him to do that. So we're not on our own. He's provided the remedy in Jesus, and he gives us his Holy Spirit to soften our hearts and help us to follow him. So um, I just encourage this morning to ask him to soften our hearts and to help us to trust in him beyond our feelings to give us grace to cut back the thorns of wrong priorities in our lives. might feel hard to give some things up, um, but ultimately the things that are choking out faith, if, the, if it is a thing that's a thorn, that you're identifying, actually I think that thing's a thorn for me. The thing about thorns is they hurt you. They just sting, like they cut you and they, they cause negative stuff in your life. You don't want thorns in your garden. So pulling it up can be difficult. But actually, it's going to make us um, it's going to make us happier ultimately in the long run, um, because having good fruitful soil in our lives is so much better than having thorny rocky ground. Okay, um, I'm going to pray and then ask Steve to come up. Yeah, Father, um, thank you for uh, thank you for your words. I thank you. It bears good fruit. If we let it take root in our lives, it bears good fruit. Um, I think this is a challenging word. This is a challenging passage. I pray we'd, um, I just, just want to pray that we take the challenge that is from you this morning. Um, my words are not necessarily your words. Um, and so I just pray that people would take 
what from you, you know, from you what they need to hear this morning. I pray that I'll take what I need from, to hear from you. We wouldn't feel heavy or condemned, but I pray that we would uh, just feel challenged in the right place. I pray that, Lord, where you've uh, sp- spoken to anybody this morning through your words, um, I pray that we'd hear well. I pray that you would give us grace to hear well. It's the thing that's going to make the difference in terms of how we grow and how much fruit your word produces in our lives. Um, we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your work uh, in softening in our hearts and doing that work. It's not, it's not us. It's not down to me ultimately to just make my heart soft before you. Um, it's, it's something that you do. Um, we pray this morning, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Um, we uh, pray that you would soften our hearts and um, give us grace, not just today, um, not that we kind of screw ourselves up into just try, trying, to do the, trying to do the right response today. And then that wears out. We just pray, pray that you would do that gentle work of building your kingdom. Now, your kingdom doesn't look impressive. Um, sometimes we might not even see it happening. Growth can, growth can take place where you don't see it. Um, and maybe there's people who have taken the seed of your word into their hearts and we're going, but have I? Have I really, um, have I really taken it down and do I, is it really bearing fruit? And, um, you know, it could be. Now, I pray you'd help us to ask, answer the question well, that you'll give us grace. Sometimes that means other people. I pray that you would speak to each of us over the next week from outside. Um, just, just that you would be kind to us in that, Lord, that you would, if we need to hear, yes, you know, actually, you need to cut back thorns. And I just pray that we'd, we'd get that and it would stick with us. But I pray if we need to hear also or instead, um, no, my word is in your heart and it is bearing fruit. And I just pray you'd help us to see that. I pray for the encouraging word at the right time. Pray that we'd encourage one another in this as well. You know, where we see fruitfulness and we see growth, um, that, that we do that, Father. Um, yeah, just ask you, would, um, just as we go into worshiping now, I just pray that you would come and speak to us. Pray that you would soften our hearts and, uh, and, and encourage everybody here this morning, Lord.